Turn in your Bible with me. Turn in your Bible. My wife asked me on the way up here. She said, what, what, what are you preaching from this morning? I said, I'm going to use the Bible. So turn in your... <laughs> it's just part of my personality. I don't know. It's a gift. Turn in your Bible to Daniel, Daniel chapter 6. While you're turning there, I want to go over. We're in this series. We're going to wrap up next week. Praise the Lord on high. I'm going to wrap up next week this series on values um, as we've been discussing what are the core values by which we operate in this church. We said our, our, our vision is only as strong as our values. So your vision, your dream, your desire that God has for you, it's only as strong as your values. So in this series, we said number one, our core value, A number one, is to delight in Jesus. Delight in Jesus. Number two, foster family. Number three, honor all, like every single person, even if they don't have our skin tone, even if they have ink in their skin tone, if they don't dress like us, they don't look like us, maybe they don't talk like us, maybe they're from North Louisiana. We're gonna honor, <laughs> gonna honor all. Number four, we're gonna give generously. You, you stingy, saved person, is an oxymoron. You can't be saved by the most generous God of all religions. God so loved that he gave. It's a word as prominent in scripture as any other word. So we serve Jesus and we give generously. Number five, talked about this last week, we operate in integrity. I believe that the church has lost influence in this culture because of a lack of of integrity. And by the way, we have a lack of integrity because we're too prideful to have honest accountability. See, when you don't want to hear about your sin, then you're not going to do anything about your sin. When you're too prideful to recognize your sin, you're too prideful to repent of your sin. And when we don't repent of our sin and we don't begin to obey God and operate in integrity, then we lose influence. And I believe that that is what has happened predominantly to the church in the United States specifically. We have lost significant influence over the years because right now, if you type in church influence and, and if you type in Hillsong, we had another one bite the dust. Come on, somebody. And it's a lack of integrity because of a lapse of accountability. We're not honest, we're not open, we're not accountable, and therefore we suffer. Number six, this is where we're going to dig in today. Number six, at this church, as a staff, even in our home, we pursue excellence. We pursue, and really we wanted to write this out. Our staff understands we pursue the spirit of excellence. And we even examine and identify whether something is of an excellent spirit or not. Is that being done? In a, you ever been to a church, didn't really care about excellence? In fact, they really didn't care about anybody but themselves. <laughs> and if you went there and you were a guest, you automatically didn't fit in. You automatically felt awkward and you felt like an outsider. They didn't care about excellence. They, they showed up at the last minute. Come on, the preacher gets up there and says, you know, I had a word. No, you didn't, liar. But I just feel like the Holy Spirit's telling me today to preach this unplanned, unprepared message right now. It's like the Holy Spirit can't say on Thursday what he wants to do on Sunday. And everybody's just unprepared. There's no structure. There's no order. And we make the Spirit look like a creepy, weird, old person that doesn't know how to relate to the next generation. Come on, you know what I'm saying? I've, I've been to that church. Not this church, but I've been to that, that church. It's awkward because it's not excellent. And at this church, we're going to pursue excellence. We're going to show up on Thursday and rehearse for Sunday. We're going to have meetings throughout the week. We're going to pray. Yeah, we're going to pray. But then we're going to plan and prepare for what we believe God is going to produce in our small groups, in our services, in our freedom groups, in our freedom conference. And we're going to believe God for more than just operating within the four walls of a... I got to get to the notes. Daniel chapter 6. Y'all are helping me more than first service did. And I have more time than I did in first service. Verse 3. Then this Daniel 
became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps. And let me just explain this real quick. I'm going to tell you more of the story in a little while. But essentially, the Medes and the Persians have taken over the Babylonian Empire. And their new ruler, his name is Darius. And Darius came in and added structure to a falling empire. Darius came in and he added 120 provinces immediately. He added structure. Listen, if you feel stressed, you need structure. Structure alleviates stress. You're stressed out because you don't have structure. But when you add structure, then you can add a schedule to the structure and the spirit can operate within all of those things. And then he can even do spontaneous things outside of your structure and outside of your schedule. And then you know it was him. Instead of just blaming him for not ever operating because you didn't give him an opportunity. All right, that's a Daniel was under Darius, and Darius came in and he added parishes, 120 of them. And every parish had a president. Now, for my whole life, I've just said parish, but now I have to say parish so y'all understand what I'm talking about. Okay? So he had, he had 120 presidents over each parish. Okay, and, and, and in, in, in all of these provinces had 120 rulers, then, then three of these rulers were high officials, okay? So you've got 120 to 123 people, and the Bible says that Daniel was distinguished above all of them. He didn't have to be. Remember, this is an Israelite in captivity. Daniel was distinguished above all the other high officials and the parish presidents, because why? Because he had an excellent spirit. See, excellence is not just a buzzword in corporate America. Excellence is a spirit that the church should have been operating in from the day that Jesus was raised from the dead. And anything less than a spirit of excellence is less than what God had in store for that group of people and or that person. There was an excellent spirit in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. I want you to notice that Daniel did not come into the kingdom of Babylon and go, yeah, but my parents never made enough money. Yeah, but you don't know how I was raised. You don't know what my home life is like. Yeah, but the, the economy in South Louisiana. Yeah, but my teacher was mean. But my coach set me on the bench. I mean, Daniel had all the excuses, and yet he operated in excellence. What's your excuse? What do you use as a validation to do and operate in less than God created you to operate in? Daniel was not satisfied with captivity. Daniel served under five different kings within his lifetime. If you're taking notes with me this morning... Write this down. Number one, Daniel was determined to be different. Daniel was determined to be different. Paul called us out in a letter to the church. He said that we should be set apart, that we should be consecrated, that we should look and live differently than everybody else in our society. But but the problem today is you can't look at a person that says they believe in Jesus and a person that refuses to live for Jesus and really tell a whole lot of difference. Because we've learned to casually blend in and call it Christianity. We've learned how to sprinkle Jesus into our already busy lives and call it spirit-filled. That's not spirit-filled, that's sprinkled in. And there's a difference. Daniel, likely a teenager when the Israelites were still in Jerusalem, when they still had their own kingdom. You can read about that in the book of Jeremiah and all the things that the people of God were doing and the disobedience within the walls of the people of God. And so God, because there was so much disobedience within the walls of the people of God, he sent an enemy in that caused them to not be able to gather within the walls anymore. Kind of like 2020, when we became so satisfied 
with sitting in the chairs and we became comfortable within the walls and God decided if you're going to be disobedient within the walls and you're not going to worship me anyways, you're not going to give anyways, you're not going to serve anyways, then I'll just close the door to the walls and teach you what it's like to not have a place to gather. And so Nebuchadnezzar came in. It's going to get better. Hang on. Nebuchadnezzar came in, he took over the kingdom. And the Bible says that he took the best looking and the brightest. And he pulled them directly underneath his leadership. Now that's kind of scary. Because I would have obviously been taken. (laughs) From, From my family and my friends. Right underneath King Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel's living in a tyrant's house. He's living in a house of a self-proclaimed demigod. He's uh, taken over this, this kingdom and he's built this empire. In fact, historians say that, that Babylon was built. There's two rivers mentioned in the Garden of Eden, the Tigris and the Euphrates. And it's believed that Babylon was built over those rivers. And, and they dug and built tributaries in and underneath the city. And Babylon ahead of its time, had wells with fresh water, river water flowing through that city. The city of Babylon in that day was, was approximately 60 miles wide. And he had hundreds of buildings, hundreds of feet tall. He built an empire unlike had ever been built before. And you can even read through the book of Daniel and you can see that God allowed him and God positioned him and God anointed him with that authority. The king brought these boys in and the first thing that he did was rename them. We know three of these boys as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But their actual names were Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. Daniel, he renamed Belteshazzar, not Belshazzar, which was the name of his presumed son or grandson, depending upon which Bible scholar you agree with. Not Belshazzar, because Belshazzar meant to protect the king. But Belteshazzar, hear me, listen to this, Belteshazzar meant in the feminine form protect the king. See, the devil knew thousands of years ago that if he, he, if he could rename and challenge the identity, if he could remove the masculinity from the males, then he could take over them. Daniel's name meant God is my judge. And yet Nebuchadnezzar, a type of the devil in the Old Testament, tried to rename them so that they lost their identity. The devil knows that if he can rob an individual's identity, if he can rob a group of individuals of their identity, then he can take their anointing. But Daniel, chapter 1, verse 8, he refused to eat from the king's table He refused to partake in the king's entertainment. He refused to ingest the immorality in which he was surrounded. The Bible says Daniel was determined not to defile himself. I believe we need a generation of 15-year-olds who will just decide that they will not be defiled by another human being that they will not be defiled by what they see on television, that they will not be defiled by what they scroll through on Instagram. They will not be defiled by what Snapchat is sent to them, and they will not be defiled by the latest trending TikTok video. If we could get some 15 to 16-year-olds that would determine in their heart that they will not be disobedient to God, but they would be set apart, consecrated, and different in this generation then I believe that it is not too late for the United States of America and or the world. And if the people of God would understand that your greatest investment is not into your Sunday morning moment to worship to your favorite song, but to help the next generation learn to worship in a way that they're not currently worshiping, that your favorite thing to do is invest in somebody that is coming after you. 
Nebuchadnezzar knew that the way to change the world was to reach the young people. He wasn't himself serving selfish endeavors alone. The Bible says in Daniel 1 verse 8, but Daniel was determined not to defile himself, not to defile himself with the chemicals that everybody else finds okay. Not to defile himself with the entertainment that everybody else says is okay. Not to defile himself with the alcohol that everybody else says is okay. Not to defile himself with whatever it is that we know the Holy Spirit is saying right now. I've been telling you to put that down. Daniel was determined. Daniel was unwilling to submit to the mentality of a victim. Boy, that's a message for the ages, isn't it? Daniel was unwilling to submit to a captive mentality. Daniel was unwilling to blame his lack on the former generation. Daniel was unwilling to call his loss something that was somebody else's fault. Daniel was unwilling to look at his current circumstance and his current positioning and blame everybody but himself. Daniel refused to be a victim surrounded by other victims. He refused to be a captive surrounded by other captives. Daniel understood that God was his judge no matter what Nebuchadnezzar called him, no matter what society said about him. He was not there to protect the king. He was there to serve the king and as long as he served the king then the spirit of excellence remained on him when everybody else was captive Daniel was called let me ask you this morning are you captive to a culture or are you called to a culture are you subject to your surroundings or are your surroundings subject to the Spirit of God on the inside of you? Don't worry, I'm going to preach you happy eventually. I'm going to get you there by whatever time I'm supposed to let you go. Daniel was not willing to simply get along. He was not willing to just survive. He was not willing to just get by. Daniel said it this way as a staff, Daniel did not have an oh well attitude. I didn't say this in first service. My daddy walked around with an oh well attitude for three days too long. And it cost him his heart, ultimately cost him his life, and my children never met him. If you have an oh well attitude, you will miss out on the things that God has for you. There are some things, hear me, listen to me, and only the Holy Spirit can tell you what those things are, but there are some things that are not just going to be all right. There are some things that when the, the Lord of all creation says, don't do that, don't take that, don't go there, don't pick that up, or the Lord of all creation says, go there, do that, pick that up, listen to that, and let that get in your spirit and begin to apply it to your life, that you got three days to decide. And Daniel just did not have an oh well attitude. Let me lighten it up a little bit this morning. The difference between an oh well attitude and a spirit of excellence is like that rocket mortgage commercial. It's the difference between being pretty sure and certain. You know, like, I'm pretty sure that's a non-venomous snake. Well, you better be certain <laughs> before you play with the serpent. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that those hornets are not the murdering type. I'm pretty sure. Come on. I'm pretty sure those are dolphins swimming around those circles with those fins. You ever been in a vehicle with somebody that says, I'm pretty sure we can make it. Listen, if you're in a race with a train trying to beat him through the intersection, you better be more than pretty sure. It's like the difference between a spirit of excellence Pursuing the excellence that God has for you, for your family, for your influence, for the church that you attend, and the life that you're living for God. The difference between oh well and excellence. Our, our staff took the time to 
video and illustration of the difference between the two. Watch, watch this. Good morning. Welcome to New Hope. Here, we strive to operate in a spirit of excellence. We want to take you on a virtual tour. Come inside. Hey, welcome to New Hope. You want a bulletin? Here, here, take a bulletin. You, you, come get a bulletin. Let's keep going. Hey, here you go. These are last week. Oh! I'll get it later. Go ahead. Praise God. for That was definitely an oh well type attitude. If you have an oh well type attitude, you may hear things come out of your mouth like, oh, I'll get it later. You may hear, well, that's not my job. You may hear, man, somebody should really clean that up. You may say things like, well, I'm still young. I have plenty of time. Maybe you've said something like, well, God understands me. Perhaps if you have an oh well attitude, you've said things like, well, I'm not hurting anyone else. Let me give you a, uh, a litmus test for an oh well attitude. Let me ask you just a simple question that somebody actually gave me last week. When I ask you, this is how you can identify the difference between an oh well attitude and a spirit of excellence. Do you leave the buggy in the parking lot or put it in the rack? I got you. Do you put the thing back where it belongs? Do you just barely double the, double the tax for your tip and have a tendency to round down? Or do you round up? Do you give more than just what God requires? Do you serve longer and better than anybody asks you to? Daniel was determined to be different. And then number two, because Daniel was determined to be different, he was distinguished by God. I want to be distinguished by God. I want to pursue excellence in a way that causes me to be different no matter the disobedience that I am or am not surrounded by. In other words, if my spouse is disobedient, I'm going to still be different. If my friends are disobedient, I'm still going to be different. If my boss and my coworkers are disobedient, I'm still going to be. If another student, if the society decides to be disobedient, I'm going to be different in the name of Jesus. Why? Because I want to be distinguished by the name of Jesus. I'm not willing to be satisfied with less than what God has for me and the people around me. This is not a Chris thing. This is a calling thing. Nebuchadnezzar was so demonically proud of himself. And by the way, arrogance is always demonic. Because arrogance and pride were actually the original sin committed by Lucifer, one of God's holy angels. 
And any time that you operate in arrogance and or pride, you are literally operating in the spirit of Lucifer himself. And Nebuchadnezzar was operating in this demonic spirit of arrogance. Nobody could tell him anything. Nobody could teach him anything. He couldn't learn anything. He had it all figured out. If you have a tendency of saying, yeah, I know, you might be stuck in this spirit. Just a simple little litmus test. Nebuchadnezzar decided that he was so proud of himself that he was going to build a statue to himself and he was going to require the entire kingdom to worship him. The Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar instructed everybody in the kingdom that at the sound of the musicians, at the sound of the instruments, everybody was supposed to worship him and everybody was supposed to bow. Isn't it interesting that today we have no problem worshiping to instruments. In fact, we have no problem glorifying men, women, and or children to the sound of instruments. For, for instance, if there was a trumpet to be sounded and it sounded something like this, dun, 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 there's something in our soul that begins to stir. And all of a sudden, the Sunday morning arms that were folded become clapping hands and become shouting mouths. But when we take the same genre and we put the name of Jesus inside of it, nobody knows what to do with their hands anymore. When we take the same songs and the same styles that you would listen to on 2nd Street and we put it in the sanctuary, it's like nobody knows what to do with their mouth and or their arms any longer and Daniel was in a culture that at the sound of the music he was supposed to bow like everybody else he was supposed to worship like everybody else but there were three Hebrew boys notice the Bible says Hebrew boys who were in the crowd when everybody else didn't know how to worship didn't know who to worship there were three that when everybody else was sitting they decided to stand when everybody else was bowing come on they understood that they were bound to to be destined by God and they stood up in that moment and I can just see them with holy hands lifted to the one true God when everybody else is being trampled by the serpent himself we got to learn how to worship in this society if you want to change the next generation then let them catch you worshiping in the current generation learn how to clap your hands all you people and shout unto God with the voice of triumph this is not something that we can produce in society when we do not practice it in the sanctuary. This was not a luxury to people that wanted to. It was a calling for people that understood who they were in Christ. While we decide to glorify our children over God, we'll shout and scream and clap. We'll yell and celebrate for a child, for a woman. For a man, we'll fill the stands and pay top dollar to watch teenage, teenagers knock each other's heads off. Which I'm for, by the way. <laughs> I'm just not for those same people coming into the house of God. Crossing their arms, never singing or saying a word. And calling it reverence. No, there's coming a day when every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess. And you'll shout whether you wanted to or not. And you'll scream and you'll cry out and you'll clap whether you wanted to or not. The difference is, will you practice on the way or wish that you would have? Daniel was distinguished by God. And so were those three Hebrew boys. So when Nebuchadnezzar threw him in the fire. He looked up and he says, the Bible says that he saw a fourth man, the image of the Son of Man, shining brightly in the fire. See, it's not until you refuse to bow your knee to the current culture. Woo, it's not until you refuse to stumble in your continued sin. It's not until you decide and determine in your heart that you are not going to be defiled by the entertainment and or the obsessions of this current. It is until you decide to surrender to your addictions and your ungodly desires and when you decide to surrender to your all to Jesus it doesn't matter where you're thrown or who throws you there because Jesus Christ himself will be made manifest in the middle of the fire 
Daniel was distinguished in that moment. Nebuchadnezzar didn't learn his lesson when he built that first statue, and he had another dream. And in his dream, the Bible says he, he saw a tree, and this tree was flourishing, and the tree represented his kingdom. And all the living creatures from all of the earth were coming to the tree that Nebuchadnezzar had built. And then all of a sudden, the tree began to rot and, and the tree began to disintegrate and all the living creatures began to be dispersed. And Nebuchadnezzar didn't know what the dream meant. And the Bible said that all the people in his kingdom with all the psychology degrees, there wasn't enough medicine in the world at that time to put Nebuchadnezzar's dream in its proper place. There was not a psychiatrist and there was not a diploma that could reveal the divine destination that God had for Nebuchadnezzar if he didn't begin to obey the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And nobody could interpret that dream. And Daniel came in and he gave him the interpretation. He said this, listen, he said, unless you renounce your sin... And be kind to the oppressed. Now listen, you got to hear my heart carefully this morning. I'm not for illegal activity. But I am for legal immigration. This country was built on being kind to the oppressed. This country was built on being a land that people could find refuge in. And they are not to just go back home and live off of somebody else's money. They should be able to legally find a path to have an opportunity just like your ancestors had an opportunity and my ancestors had an opportunity and their ancestors will have an opportunity because we believe as the people of God that we should renounce our sin and be kind to the foreigner, be kind to the immigrant. In fact, we believe that a nation is blessed or cursed depending upon how they treat the sojourner according to the book of Exodus, Leviticus, and Psalms. So be careful when you express your opinion making sure that it's not just political but actually biblical. And that you've discerned with the Holy Spirit. But you can't renounce your sin that you don't recognize, Nebuchadnezzar. And it's not until you recognize your shortcomings that you can renounce your shortcomings. And then you can repent of your shortcomings. Come on, the Holy Spirit's sharing it with me. I'm just refeeding it to you. The Bible says that Daniel gave Nebuchadnezzar a chance to repent, but he didn't listen. And 12 months later, Nebuchadnezzar opened his app to see how much was in his account. Oh, see, we worship the same gods of Baal and Asherah and Molech. We just call them different things. Nebuchadnezzar was on the roof of his palace, which probably didn't cost as much as most of our homes today. But he was on the roof of his palace admiring his kingdom and all of his giftings and all of his abilities and everything that he had built. And the Bible says in that moment, his three days were over. In that moment, his oh well attitude cost him his sanity. And for seven years, he grazed with the cattle as he lost his mind until the seven seasons were over. The seven years were over. And at the end of the seven years, the Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar came to his mind and he professed Daniel's God as the one true God. Isn't it interesting? Come on, I'm trying to help somebody today that if you'll just stay firm and stay faithful, that at the end of the time period of the prodigal, at the end of the time period of the attacker, at the end of the time period when God says enough is enough, when God says the sentence has been served, they will come back and find you again. They'll come look for the one who was destined by God. They'll come look for the one who dwelt in the Spirit of God. They will find you again and they'll ask you to pray for them they'll ask you to disciple them and they'll ask you to help them Nebuchadnezzar repented of his sin but apparently his grandson and or son depending upon which scholar you follow did not get the memo 
Many believe that there was a king between Nebuchadnezzar and the grandson or son named Belshazzar. There was another man named Nebuchadnezzar. And that Belshazzar was actually the crown son, the crown prince of Babylon. Either way, he was in charge. And while he was in charge, instead of operating in the authority that God had given him, he decided to throw a party. Instead of reaching the people of God and the ones who were far from God, he decided to just go along and get along. And as long as he was having fun, and as long as he felt good about it, he thought everything was going to be okay. The problem is, when you're not doing what God called you to do, you begin to take the things of God for granted. And so Belshazzar went into the treasury where Nebuchadnezzar had taken the things of God's holy temple, the chalice and the bowls and the altars, and placed them almost like a museum of a collection, Belshazzar decided that it would be a good idea to take the vessel of the Holy Spirit and fill it with things that it wasn't supposed to be filled with. Belshazzar decided to go into the temple of God and begin to have fun in revelry with that temple instead of operating in reverence with that temple. And as they were partying and drinking from the chalice, from the cup, from the vessel of God himself, they were filling that vessel with wine. Careful. They were filling that vessel with the opportunity to celebrate themselves. And they began to mock God. Listen to me, friend. Be sure and know that my God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man shall sow, whether he's 15 or over 50. Whatsoever a man shall sow in his younger years or his latter years. He will reap. In other words, what you plant is what you grow. And it's nobody's fault but yours. And Belshazzar, that night, as he was celebrating and partying and drinking and playing and having a blast, perhaps the next day was Ash Wednesday, but that day was a bad day. Oh, I ain't scared. <laughs> Think you can act like hell and inherit heaven? That's not how this thing works. Now, listen, I'm not saying that because I'm mad at you. I'm saying that because I'm scared for you. Because I went down that road. And I know the consequence of those choices. And I just determined in my heart that Jesus paid for my sin, but he didn't stay dead, and I don't have to either. The Bible says that as Belshazzar was partying and drinking and playing and acting a fool, just like the fools in which he was surrounded by, the hand of God came in and wrote on the wall. And nobody could interpret the word. And then the queen says in Daniel chapter 5, verse 11, she reminded Belshazzar. The Bible says that it scared him so much that he was white, pale as a ghost. Everybody in the room was stricken with fear. And the queen came in and said this, listen, there is a man in your kingdom. Ooh, I want to preach this. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. See, she didn't even know who she was talking about but she knew who Daniel belonged to. In the days of your father, light and understanding, listen, and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. She's talking about Daniel. And King Nebuchadnezzar, and there's some further explanation, King Nebuchadnezzar made him chief of the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans. By the way, the Chaldeans were demonically possessed people who insinuated and pushed propaganda and agendas to distract people from what God had for them. Sound familiar? We're surrounded by Chaldeans today. The Chaldeans and the astrologers. By the way, astro astrology is demonic in and of itself. So you don't check your horoscope in the morning. You check with the Holy Spirit in the morning and he will lead you. He will lead you where you're. Your future is not going to be found in a fortune cookie. I'm not saying that I don't like the way they taste and I don't eat 17 of them before I leave. If they're just going to leave them in a basket for free, Chris going to eat a cookie. But, but what I am saying is that your destiny is not determined by a person and and or a dead statue and or a dead religion. So as a Christian, whoo, you don't get to be in a lull. You get to serve the living God. As a Christian, you don't get to be a dead man walking because Jesus Christ was lifted up so you don't get to stay down. You are still above and not beneath. You are still the head and not the tail. As long as you're pursuing the spirit of excellence, it can't help but shine through you. Because, verse 12... 
an excellent spirit, knowledge. We say common sense and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and post about all the problems. My bad. That's the lukewarm Christian version of the word. It says solve all the problems. You don't just complain about all the issues. Come on, you contribute to all the opportunities. We are more surrounded by opportunities of salvation than any generation has ever been surrounded, but we're too busy complaining about sinners to take the time to win them. And we're too busy acting just like them to help them have clarity of what God's actually called us to do. We have the greatest opportunity that any generation has ever had before. And just like the church in the days of Greece and Rome, we have an opportunity to not just add to the church on a daily basis, but multiply to the church on a weekly basis. If we will be found doing the master's business as our so-called Savior was. That's what Daniel was doing because there was an excellent spirit. He solved problems, and they were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Let Daniel be called, says Belshazzar, and he will show the interpretation, says the queen to Belteshazzar. Daniel comes in, and i got to fast forward. Come help me out so that everybody will feel like I'm almost done. <laughs> Daniel... Daniel came in, and, and some scholars believe that this is a form of Aramaic that was written on the wall. It was a language that wasn't written at that time. Daniel came in, and he said, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I know these words. God has given me the interpretation. Daniel says, the words are mine, mine, tekel, and parsin. And the Bible says through the translation for Daniel, that mine, mine means numbered. In other words, Daniel's saying, you think you have plenty of time, but you don't have as much time as you think you have. You're playing, you should be preparing. I don't know who that's for today. Daniel said, your days are numbered, Belshazzar. Listen to me, listen to me, new hope. Listen to me, child of God. Listen to me, potential child of God. Listen to me, supposed to be child of God. Your days are numbered. Your tomorrow is not promised to you. You have right now to live for Jesus. There is no guarantee that you will have a thief on the cross opportunity to ask for forgiveness. Your breath may be gone in an instant. The last beat of your heart could be any moment. Daniel prophetically reminds this forsaken kingdom, this distracted society, your days are numbered. Tekel means weighed. It means I've been looking at what you've been doing and I've weighed you in the balances and you have been found wanting. And then he says this, parsin. It means divided. It means since you can't get along with one another, I'm going to split you in half. Since you can't fight for the unity of the Spirit and you let the devil keep coming in different forms based on your political instead of biblical opinion, since you can't get along because of simply the color of your skin, I'm going to send somebody else that's not even supposed to be in charge. And you're going to be divided. And the Bible says that night, that very night, according to history, See, when the church isn't preparing, the enemy is. See, when you think the storm is over, the enemy is just preparing for the next opportunity. According to history, the Medes and the Persians were outside of the kingdom while Belshazzar was partying and celebrating and sitting in his own comfort. The Medes and the Persians were preparing to take over the empire. They were stopping up those wells. And according to history, they began to come out of those wells throughout that entire 60-mile-wide city like ants out of an anthill, and they took over the Babylonian Empire that very night. 
verse 31 of Daniel chapter 5. It says, Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. I got to preach this part, if you'll hang in here with me for just 10 more minutes. Darius, as we see in the Bible, allowed Daniel to stay right where he had already been positioned. See, Belshazzar is the one that clothed him and, and made him the third highest ruler in all the kingdom. And Darius came in and recognized that Daniel was determined to be different. And Darius came in immediately recognizing that God had distinguished this man. And the Bible says in the beginning of the very next chapter, verse 3, this Daniel, Darius is Daniel was distinguished above all the other high officials and the satraps because of why? Because of the same excellent spirit that Nebuchadnezzar recognized, Nebuchadnezzar recognized, and the queen of Belshazzar recognized. See, when you're in Christ, it doesn't matter who's in charge. <laughs> when you're walking in the anointing, it doesn't matter who's in the authority currently. Because you're not subject to the authority and you're not subject to the circumstances. We've preached this already, but I'm here to remind somebody today. It doesn't matter how bad it gets out there. What's important is how full it gets in here. The purpose and the plan for your life is not dependent upon any administration. I'm trying to help somebody today. The plan and the purpose for your life is not dependent upon a municipality. In fact, the municipality is more dependent upon the ministry than the ministry is upon the municipality. And if the people who are called by God and anointed by God, the saints of God, would continue to equip and operate in the anointing of the ministry that God God has called them to then God would multiply that ministry in any municipality it's just what he does it's who he is and Darius put him in charge but hang on wait, wait, hang but Darius was fooled and Darius signed a decree because he wasn't listening to God and he wasn't listening to the man of God and Daniel prayed in public, and it cost him his job. Daniel refused to bow before Nebuchadnezzar. And he refused to stop bowing before God under Darius. And the Bible says that Darius was distressed over having to throw Daniel in the lion's den. The Bible says he stayed up all night trying to figure out how to get him out of it. Listen to me, hear me, hear me, lean in. If an earthly king was distressed over what was happening to a child of God because of the people that he was surrounded by, then how much more do you think a heavenly father is distressed when you come under attack to things that are outside of your control? And yet Darius, in order to be just, just like God, in order to be just, he cannot only protect the just and rain down wrath on the unjust. The Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. The only difference is the person that recognizes God as their judge. And Daniel knew that Darius was not his judge. Daniel knew that Darius was just positioned to be in authority. And when Daniel went into the lion's den, a guy that didn't even worship the one true God told him, may your God, may your God deliver you this night. And I don't know what Daniel's response was to that intuition and to that understanding that Darius had in that moment. I just know that if he did it for Daniel he can do it for you you may have been thrown in a pit you may be surrounded by lions but if he sent an angel to Elijah and if he sent an angel to Daniel and if he sent an angel to Paul then he will send an angel to you and when you come out of that pit and that stone is rolled away just like it was rolled away for the king of glory it will be revealed and rolled away for you as long as you walk in in his glory don't let anybody distract you and talk you out of the glory of God that you've called 
called to walk in. When you wake up in the morning and your body says no, you tell your body that Jesus already said yes. I am not a victim. I am a victor. And everybody around me is about to get to experience the victory because of what Jesus Christ has done and continues to do. Third point, third point. Number three. Daniel delivered the captives. See, his determination was not just about himself. And God distinguishing him and elevating him was not just so that he could be promoted and celebrated. That's why he was never satisfied no matter what promotion he received. Because he understood that there was still one more to be won. I'm telling you right now, I'm not satisfied with 600 coming on Sunday as long as 6,000 are still gathering on 2nd Street. I still see an opportunity. And I believe that what God has planned is better than what the enemy has to offer. Daniel understood. And the Bible says in Daniel chapter 6 verse 28, this was after he was thrown to the lions that Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Well, that's interesting. Cyrus the Persian. Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and Cyrus the Persian. I'd never caught this before. I've preached series on the book of Daniel. I've done studies on the book of Daniel and I never recognized this. I preached a series right here called Rise Up on the book of Nehemiah, and I didn't catch this. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verse 22, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the same king that Daniel was still prospering under, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah. Come on, I'm telling you, somebody is going to see the prophet's words come to pass. There's a generation there's a generation that's going to see the words of Jeremiah come alive. There's a generation that's going to see the words of Daniel come alive. There's a generation that's going to see the vision of Ezekiel come to pass. And there is a generation that is going to see the prophecy of Jesus Christ himself made manifest in Israel and spread its way across the earth. The Bible says that the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. I can't take too long, but I need you to know that there is not an administration that is immune to revelation. In other words, I'm not saying there's not a place for a protest, and I'm not saying that there's not a place for people to gather and take advantage of the democratic opportunities that we have. But I'm telling you, we are called to be a people of prayer. We are called to take that prayer and plan and prepare for what God has, no matter what anybody else says, because there is not an administration that is immune to revelation. What John saw in the book of Revelation is going to happen in the United States. It's going to happen in Mexico. It's going to happen in Haiti. It's going to happen in Kenya. It's going to happen in China. Communism is not immune to revelation. Republicans are not immune to revelation Democrats are not immune to revelation India is not immune to revelation there is not a group of people that will stand idly by in their immunities to the book of revelation Jesus came and he's coming back the only difference is the people who are ready and taking people with them Daniel under Cyrus the king the Lord stirred up the spirit and then verse 23 says, Thus Cyrus, king of Persia, he speaks, he says, The Lord, that's capitalized in my Bible, Yahweh, Jehovah God, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He is confessing what Nebuchadnezzar was supposed to confess. He has given me all the kingdoms of all the earth and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. 
Whoever is among you of all of his people, may the Lord his God be with him and let him go up. I'm telling you that you may feel like a captive in a moment, but Jesus was lifted up so you can't stay down. As Jesus was elevated, he wants to elevate you, especially in the last days. When Cyrus was stirred by the Lord, listen to me, Daniel, the little teenage boy who refused to be defiled, even though he thought he had plenty of time to live. Daniel, the 20 and 30 year old that refused to bow before the worries of the world and worship men and women in the place of God's glory. Daniel, who didn't care what Belshazzar had to say because he couldn't help but interpret what God had already said. And Daniel, who God decided to distinguish because he pursued a spirit of excellence, was sitting right there in the ear of Cyrus the Great when he said, I believe that the Lord has stirred in me. There needs to be a man and a woman of God standing in the midst of the authority when the Spirit of God comes into the room and stirs the heart of the enemy in that place, stirs the heart of the authority, and they turn to you and they say, what does it mean? And Daniel gives the interpretation. It's time for the words of Jeremiah to come to pass. It's time for Zerubbabel to take an issue of people and go back and rebuild the temple. It's time for Ezra to relay the foundation, and it's time for Nehemiah to rebuild the wall. Daniel was right there. I need somebody to join me today and make a declaration that says, I'm going to pursue excellence so that the next generation is not bound the way that I used to be bound. I'm going to pursue excellence so that the next generation is not tested the way that I was tested. They don't have to fight the way that I fought, and they don't have to go through what I went through to get to what God has for them. I'm going to stand in the gap. I'm not going to be settled. I'm not going to be satisfied because I serve a king that has never lost a battle as long as as he has been on the throne, as he was, he is, and he will always be. If you believe it this morning, can you clap your hands, all you people? Somebody shout unto God with the voice of triumph. He's never lost a battle. He's always been the same. He's God and he never changes. He's the God of Daniel. He's the God of Isaiah. He's the God of David. And he is the God of Jesus himself. Now, don't you dare, don't you dare say you're going to pursue honor in this room and not take it out there. Before you go, if you need to give your life to Jesus today, whether you're standing or sitting, whether you're watching or waiting, I want to invite you right now. I want to invite you right now to open your hands right where you are. If you're following Jesus, then I want you to ask him, Lord, help me to pursue excellence. I want you to seek not the excellence, but the spirit. Not what the spirit has to offer, but who he is. Father, we're all fallen. We're all tempted and we're all distracted. But God, may we never be satisfied with not being filled with everything that you have. If you're in the room right now, if you're watching live or later online, and you need to give your life to Jesus today, I wanna to invite you to open your hands. The captives are about to be set free in this place. You're about to go from captive to called, from dead to alive in Christ, if you'll give Jesus your life and never take it back again. The way to be called is to confess. Confess Jesus as Lord. Do what Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar to do. Renounce your sin and repent. Jesus already paved the way so that you don't have to spend another day, another 12 months, or another seven years outside of his will for your life. If that's you and you need to give him your life right now, open your hands right where you are. Church, I wanna invite you to pray loud so that they won't pray to themselves, but they would just be willing to confess out loud right now. Come on, if that's you, let's pray this prayer together. Jesus, forgive me where I've fallen short, where I've been distracted, disobedient, where I've been satisfied with less than your best. I believe 
that you gave the best that heaven had to offer. His name is Jesus. He shed his blood. He paid for my sin. He was raised from the dead so I could be born again, made new in him. May I follow Jesus with all of my heart from this day forward. Take my life and make it yours. I surrender all right now. Help me to pursue excellence as long as I'm alive. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen, amen. Come on, can you give God praise one more time?